0: Well, I just want to just thank you all for being here, and especially many of you who are in what we call this John Challenge. You've been reading through the Gospel of John. If you haven't been a part of that, I've been talking to people, and that's been just, I think, a really good thing. Um, as you prepare your heart for Easter. So encourage you to, uh, if you don't know how to do that, I know you can probably get a look on our app, on Facebook. There's a number of different ways you can do that. If you want to call the office, I'm sure they can help you uh, figure out where we're at. I think we should be getting into John 9. That's what you should be reading if you've been on that um, challenge as well. There's a few things uh, that have happened that I think have been really fun that I wanted to mention to you, and one of those is the father-daughter dance. We had that just the Friday night, and there were some 80 or so 40, I don't know how many dads and daughters, but they had a great time. They were eating cupcakes and enjoying themselves and doing all kinds of things. So if some of you have seen those things on our social media site. In fact, we are using that more and more. And so the things will be on Instagram, they'll be on... Oh. and So if you want to kind of... uh... Take a look at and be able to kind of keep up with the life of the church. We do. We're posting on Instagram, Facebook, um, Spotify. If you want to know what music we're singing on Sunday, and you want to be kind of in tune with some of that worship music, you can get that as well. Um, Every once in a while, I I, I tweet on Twitter a couple times a week. There's just different things we're doing, but I'm really grateful because there was a parent queue that came out on our kids' ministry that um, I subscribed to that just to see what they're doing, and and it was said this. It says. The whole world will tell our children what's wrong with them, out loud and often. Our job is to let our children know what's right about them. And I thought, that was just a good reminder, because we all get messages all the time that shame us, that limit us, and then there is a word that says that God has a reckless, never-ending love that will go after us and after us, and that that God values who you are and wants to be with you and present with you. So I just wanted to share those things. Let me ask you as we kind of get into the message, just this question: How many um, are of the camp that says there's there's not a stupid question? Just raise your hand if you're of that camp. Okay, and some of you aren't, and 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 I get it. That's fine. We're going to look at a passage of scripture where that kind of you could look at it and go, "Boy, that's kind of a dumb question." And and as we look at this passage of scripture, there's a number of what I call oddities, kind of things that uh, unexpected responses that that kind of filter through. It. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. So, um one thing I found and have learned is that God is often he just works in ways we don't expect. He sometimes responds to our questions in ways that we don't even think he will. I found early on in my life, and I still struggle with it, to try not frame an outcome, but to trust God and let him care about what that outcome is going to look like. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to read together, or I'll read, and and I'd love for you to read um, this in your heart with me as I read it out loud. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool which in Aramaic is called Bethesda and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. And they waited for the moving of the waters. From time to time the angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters. The first one into the pool after each such disturbance would be cured of whatever disease they had. One who was there had been invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked them, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no uh, no one to help me into the pool when the water is is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes in ahead of me. then Jesus said to him, pick up and get up and pick up your mat and walk. And at once... The man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? And the man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. And the man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who made him well. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. Let's pray. Father, quiet our hearts. We pray that you would give us ears to hear, to hear your voice this morning, that you would would speak to us, because I know that you love each and every one of us in the uniqueness of how you've created us. And you come to us in ways that we know really matter, in ways that we can hear, in ways that we can see you. So we open our hearts collectively to you this day. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. John's gospel is all about faith. It's kind of this theme that we're going to see this morning is kind of unexpected and it's kind of odd at times, the things that Jesus seems to do. Like the very first sign we looked at in these messages, they run out of wine and surprise, it's a bit odd. Jesus, through that wedding feast they've run out of wine they've served the best wine and he changes water to wine some 150 gallons of the best wine ever produced and it's the first sign and it points to jesus he is the one who can turn water to wine he is the great agent of change that's what the sign's pointing to jesus he can transform your life And then you go to the second one and it's also a bit odd in some ways because here he's, he's kind of revealed as the great healer. Even if the person is living miles away. This man travels some 20 miles from Capernaum to get to Cana. He comes to Cana and he begs Jesus, Jesus, would you just, would you just come back with me? Come these 20 miles if you would just be present and you would just heal my son. He's near death and he begs him and Jesus says, I don't need to do it. He basically says, go. Your son lives. I don't need to travel 20 miles. I can just speak the word here and it can be done there. And so this is all about what you believe. And John even says in chapter 20, verse 31, he says, there are all kinds of different signs that I did not include. Miraculous signs that point to who Jesus is and point to his sufficiency. And, and he's saying, I want you to look at these signs because these signs are significant in that sense in pointing you where you're at right now, to the sufficiency of who Jesus is. So as we dig into this story, I'm just going to kind of go through it and then point out some of these oddities. If you look at verses 1 and 2, he begins and he says, sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. And as scholars are all over the board on which festival it is. They try and guess here and we really just don't know. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and it's surrounded by a five-covered colonnade. And the first thing that kind of stands out is the Sheep Gate. The Sheep Gate was one of the entrances into the city, this walled city, that Nehemiah built as the first gate to be built. It was the gate that the sheep would go through in order to go to the temple to be sacrificed. So when they were building the wall and making everything, they started with this sheep gate. It was in that time when, when, when Nehemiah came back with his people from, from the Babylonian captivity, which is I, I kind of call it like God's great time out for his people. He, you know, put them in a time out chair, put them to Babylon, and then he brings them back and they, they build this sheep gate. And this is the one that Jesus walks through. And John's the only gospel writer who talks about Jesus in this way, that when Jesus came to John, who was doing the baptizing at the Jordan, that when John saw Jesus, he looked up and he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So you see that John is kind of weaving this in. Here comes Jesus. He comes through the sheep gate because he was prophetically saying, this is the one, the Lamb, who someday take away the sins of the world. In the pool... In Aramaic is Bethesda. The Hebrew is this idea, Beit Kessed, which is House of Loving Kindness. So that's in a sense what this pool was. It was a pool, which is the House of Loving Kindness. So that it was reminding kind of people as they'd bring these sheep through the gate, they would go by this pool, this colonnade, this five covered colonnade of pools that were this House of Loving Kindness. You were coming to the house. Where God expresses great love and kindness. There's older manuscripts. If you have a, a Bible, they'll give you different names for Bethesda. And and, and at one point, uh, New Testament critical scholars who who don't believe that God's word is His er, errant word, and that uh, they they would look at stories that you find again and again in the Bible, and they and they would say like this story, like John five. c they would say it just shows you uh, there is no place, there is no pools in in in, in Jerusalem that that corresponds to this. So this obviously is John writing a, a number of these signs are just missed that are kind of to help you um, believe God. They're not necessarily true. And like often happens in archaeological digs in 1963, they unearthed these pools under the church called St. Anne's Church. We have some pictures of these um, five colonnade pools that were found and had... Uh, had on earth. And what's really interesting is the reason that you can also, as scholars, understand that this probably was the place that we're, we're, where these pools were is because often you would build a church or a religious shrine or something right next to it or on top of it or, or around it. And and so that's what you have here. And again, again, you see the word of God kind of coming, coming clear and and being affirmed if you just give it some time. Verses three and four, here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. They'd come under these colonials, colonnades, these kind of porches or porticos where Underneath it they would be covered by shade So as they were waiting by the pool They could be in a place where they would not have the sun beating down on them But it was also a place where they would collect and and come together So that people who were good, faithful, religious Jews Who knew that part of their responsibility was to care for the poor Would come in And it would be a place where they would also be gathered Because they would beg It was one of the ways it would help provide for their family. Their family would bring them there, and and they'd leave them there, and through that day, they would kind of earn their keep. And then you read these words, and they waited for the moving of the waters. From time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters. And the first one in the pool, after each disturbance, would be cured of whatever disease they had. If you look at verse 4, if you go back to the earliest manuscripts in the Bible, these words... This verse isn't in some of the earliest manuscripts. It was more than likely a scribe helping people understand. After uh, Jerusalem was destroyed and, and they didn't have a history of what this, this pool and why they gathered there, he's kind of giving you kind of a note. And so he's, he's saying, here's why the people were there. It helps explain why. Later when Jesus asks him, you know, do you want to be healed? He says, no, I just can't get in the pool. So he's giving you an explanation. And, and and what people have thought about these pools is they had thought that um, this probably has springs of water that would help keep them fresh. And, and every once in a while, which is pretty natural with springs in, in those places, they would gu- they kind of bubble up. And when they would bubble up, the, it would kind of either raise the level of the pool or you would see kind of a bubbling or a gushing. And, and, there, and the superstition was... That if you get into the water first, you'd be healed. And, and my guess is that someone did that once for some reason when it was bubbling and, and a person was healed. You don't have these places around the world where people are healed. And what's amazing is that there are people who go there who actually get healed. Because the healing necessarily isn't in superstition. The healing is in sometimes their faith is in a God now, now, some of this can be kind of positive mental thinking or things like that. I, I'm sure that's some case, but in some cases, there are verified miraculous healings. Because some people go, well, "How in the world can God do that?" Just think about maybe the craziest, kookiest. Maybe the guy isn't uh, even living with integrity, and he's like this faith healer, and he's doing it. And people come, and he says, "You know, in the name of Jesus, you'll be healed." And and the person goes, "You know, what? I believe Jesus can heal me," and and they receive a healing. Because it's the transaction between God and that heart. He uses dirty vessels all the time. We really have to be careful about our own judgments on things. I'm not saying we should believe in superstitions, but I want you to know that if your heart is in a place where you're really looking to God and you're seeking Jesus in something, man, God uses me. Heaven knows there's a lot of stuff he's got to clean up in me still. So you see this picture. He comes down in verse 6. It says, one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. So you get this kind of picture of uh, this guy who's been laying around. The guy before was ill and he was living in another town. This guy, it's just a long time. You know, the longer that you're ill, the harder it is to receive cure and treatment. It's just, it's just a medical fact. He's an England for 38 years. He says, when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in the con- this condition for a long time, he asked, do you, do you want to get well? First oddity. It's kind of a crazy question. Is there such a thing as stupid questions? 38 years. You know, when you think about it, not all of us want to get well. I, I, I don't know if everybody at that pool really wanted to get well around that pool that day. We're told that Jesus healed one person. Not all of us really want to give up the things that limit and cripple us. There's the kind of attitudes that we have. There's ways that we go about our life that may not be the way that is most pleasing to God. There's things you eat. Let's just go down to this, right? How many like coffee? Coffee. Okay, so when we fast, whenever I fast, I don't give up coffee. You know why? I just don't want the headache. (laughs) Right? I'd rather have the coffee. Or how about sweets or carbohydrates? and, And if you eat too much of it, what happens? You get high blood pressure and gain weight. But how many give up the chocolate pie? Strawberry pie. I don't know. What is your whatever... There is people who will live with an extra roll of fat, like me, around your gut. You know, it's medically proven that it brings about heart conditions. I mean, it's it's a fact. That Why don't we give it up? There are, I've been told, people who wear five-inch heels and there's a greater incidence of breaking your ankle. I have no experience in this at all. (laughs) But there are things we do that keep us from being well, that cripple us. There's attitudes, self-pity, complaining. There's things that we do. For 38 years, this is really significant, for 38 years, it's kind of in a sense, this guy's been wandering for 38 years, and 38 years is a significant statement here. It wasn't just a throwaway. He's recording it because Jewish audience, when they heard 38 years, their ears perked up. Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 2 verse 14. This is about Israel as they came to the promised land and were about to enter into the land that, listen, the words, you gotta hear this, the, the land that God promised to do what? Give them. 38 years, it says, passed from the time we left Kadesh Barnea. This is a recounting. Moses is recounting in Deuteronomy the second giving of the law. He's recounting all the things that have happened. Until we crossed the Zered Valley, by then that entire generation of fighting men had perished from the camp as the Lord had sworn to them. See, Kadesh Barnea was the place where the 12 spies were to enter into Canaan. It was the place that by faith they were to walk into and receive their fullness. It is in the Bible dictionary, the word Kadesh Barnea, Kadesh is how would say it. Is the the sacred desert of wandering is what it's called. Some Old Testament scholars believe that when Israel came there, they ended up going there, standing right before the edge of getting into their promise, being well, moving from their bondage of Egypt, that wandering. You know, it was only supposed to be an 11-day journey. And they ended up for 30 years, many believe, just wandering around in the same place over and over and over and over and over again. And they miss, in a sense, the place that God had promised to what? Give them if they participated with him in faith. And I just ask you, I don't think it's a dumb question, do you want to get well? So when I know Jesus has asked me and, and continues to ask me, are, are you wandering around when you're healing, is is right here. The Greek word is kind of interesting. It's do you want to get well. It's translated in the future, but it's really, it's called an aorist middle voice verb. So you could actually translate it in this way. Do you want the healing that has already been done for you? That which is in the realm of the spirit, merely waiting for you to participate in faith with God to receive. That's kind of what he's asking. And I just asked, are you tired of wandering? It could be in, in a marriage relationship. It could be in relationship that you have in your own family. It could be things at work. It could be your finances. Are you tired of wandering? It could be your attitudes. Are you tired of wandering? Do you want to get well? One of the most um, painful times in my life was... A number of years ago in, in, in a church it was called village church that I was there for about thirteen years and I went through this experience where God was putting to death some attitudes, some some ways of, of living my life. I call them strategies that um, I had learned as a child, that I, I learned how to get what I what I needed and, and I would do what I needed. I could manipulate to get myself to that end. And I remember in this time I was going through it and I felt this is going to sound over dramatic, but if I was explain the whole thing to you, I actually, because this dream of mine I thought was coming to an end and that God was just kind of putting an end to what had been so deep in my heart that I actually felt suicidal and I began to realize later the reason why is because he was cutting out something very core within me. He was cutting out what I call our learned strategies of life. And, and, and this verse meant a lot to me. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. And it was in that time when the Spirit of God began to crush ways that I was doing things, ways that I was hoping to get what I wanted because I had learned that's how you did it. And God is saying I don't want you to do it anymore. Ways of misleading people. Ways of, 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 of kind of, anybody done like what you just call white lies? They're still lies. Ways of exaggerating things. There, there, there were attitudes of self-pity that, I, that, that God was beginning to work on. There were all kinds of things that had woven into my life in such a way that God was saying, you know what, for you to do what you really want, and, and God knew my heart was to follow him with, with, with my whole being, he just said, I have to bring this to an end. Do you want to get well? The thing you have to ask yourself is in the place that you're at where God is putting His finger, in, and He can do it really gently, and He's just saying, you know, this, this is crippling you. This, this spirit of complaining. This, this judging of others. It's at times taking a self-righteous stand. It's, it's crippling you. It's not just crippling you, it's crippling your relationships. You have to ask yourself, what am I benefiting from this? Because the reason Jesus asks us is because the reason we don't let it go is because we've realized that somehow it benefits us in some way. For me, when it it would be around self-pity, it would be kind of like, you get attention. Anybody ever felt that way? Or if you manipulate your words so that you're not really telling a lie, but you're just kind of not saying the real truth, what are you doing? You're getting them to believe something that's not really true, but you get what you want. What is it you're gaining from this? What are you benefiting? When you say, Jesus healed this wound that's crippling me. There's a second oddity, because I think this is really interesting. The first thing he's asking is what some people might say is a stupid question, which really isn't, is, is the answer that the man gives. It's really quite odd. It's what I call oddity number two. I can't get healed. It's just not what you would expect the guy to say. I mean, Jesus comes and you want to get well, what do you think he would, what do you expect him to say? <laughs> yes, by all means, what do you got to do? But listen, he says in verse seven, sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me get into the pool and the water stirred. And while I, I am trying to get in it, someone else gets in ahead of me and so I'm just 38 years here. I have no one to help me. What he's doing is looking to himself. Even though there's a superstition that that he's believed and others believe, he's sticking around the pool. For 38 years he's been doing this, and he's wandered for 38 years in his own efforts to try and get well. So when Jesus asked him, do you want to get well, his his response is, "I, I can't. I can't do it. The promised land for Israel was merely God's promise of freedom and abundance from a life of bondage. He said, I'll take you from Egypt, and, and I'll, it was really to be a short journey to bring them into the land that he promised to give them. But for 38 years, they wandered. If you read Numbers chapter 13, and you look at verses 18 through 31, it gives you kind of a picture of their wandering, of why they started wandering. And I'm just going to kind of summarize it. After examining the land in all its districts, the spies came back and said, "Here's what I, I, way I would say. Do you want the good news or the bad news?" And they all said, "Good news." So the Lord promised. He said this full and abundant, and unbelievable land. And, and I remember Bible study pictures of, as a kid when you were in Sunday school. They, you know, if you look at those Bible stories, you see these guys carrying these big um, poles, and on the poles were these. Grapes of a cluster. Anybody remember this? And they were the size of a basketball, pretty much. (laughs) And, uh, and he says, the land is incredible. That's the good news. It's all that God said it would be, filled with milk and honey, which was an expression of almost like a heaven on earth kind of expression. And they said, so, so what's the bad news? Well, the cities are really huge and they're fortified. The people, I mean, they're giants. You heard of these people called Nephelium? You could talk to them, these people in history that were giants, that were kind of these superhuman beings. They're there. In fact, when we looked at them and they, we compared them to us, we looked like grasshoppers. And it says they believed the evil report and the people abandoned all hope of entering the land that God had promised to give them. It wasn't their responsibility It was God's as they participated in faith to bring about the fullness, the healing, or whatever it was that God was leading them to. So what's your answer? Do you want to get well? Most often it is just like what they did in Israel. You look to yourself, you go, man, I know God, you said this, but I can't do it. He didn't intend it. He asked the guy, do you want to get well? And the guy goes, but you know what? I really, I mean, I've, I can't get anyone to sit by the pool and to, you know, push me in when they see it. I just can't do it. And he goes, of course you can. It's, you know, are you tired of wandering? You know, sometimes God has to wait till we come to the end of ourself. You know what? You heard the expression that you got to hit bottom. Anybody heard that? Do you know you don't have to? you You really don't have to? God could be talking to you today about something. He goes, you know what? You will hit bottom, but I'd rather not have you hit bottom. I'd rather intervene, but sometimes your family and others can't do anything because you just go in, in your own pride. God, I'm, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep doing it. And God sometimes goes, I'll let you just wander and wander and wander and wander till you're tired of wandering, till a part of you dies, a generation dies so that you can enter into this place that I promised to give you. Now I have horses. And I, I, horses are huge, beautiful animals. Um, I did a really stupid thing one time. I tried to train the horse myself. You know, like I'm putting the thing, you know, with this blanket on top of it, and it's called gentling and everything else. And I tried it, and I did all. This. I'm not real patient, so I, uh, I, I decided to get on the horse before I probably should have. And I get on this horse, and the thing takes off, and I ended up tearing muscles in my leg that for a year took me a year to heal. So I just said I'm never doing that again. Because horses are incredibly po- powerful animals. Even though I had a bit in that thing, I couldn't do a thing with it. So here's what I do with horses, and here's what a good person does when it comes to horses. When we have people who are coming over and we want them to ride our horses, you know what I do? I take them out into the field I put a lead rope on them and I grab a whip. And if you're with PETA or PETA or whatever, I I don't hit them at all. They just get scared when they see it. Okay, so I'm not abusing animals. Okay, so you take this lead rope and you have this whip in your hand. You know what you do? You lunge them. You take them and you go around in a circle again. And you, I'm just like this. Go on like this. Around and around and around and around. Sometimes for 40 minutes till they are lathered in a sweat. You know what happens after about 40 minutes of that? They go, oh, you can get on my back. Just, I'll participate. I'll do whatever you want. Just stop the lunging. Some of you, God has been lunging. And you know it. Some of you are 10 years into it and you're going, you know what? God's going, I'll do it for another 20, 30 years if you want me to. Another 30, 28 years. Some of you are 20 years into it. Some of you are 30 years into it. You know what? Some of you are down the road, and you just keep going. In your pride, I, will, I just talked, and God goes, that's fine. I'll just let you keep going around in circles and 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 circles until so you're tired, and you say, it's not what I can do. It's what you can do, and I will put my faith in you because what you have promised, you promised would give me, but it requires humility. It requires an admission of your need of him. It requires an understanding that, yes, I am a sinner, and because of that, I understand he loves me, and he wants to part participate with me he wants to take away that sin and and give me freedom and, and, and fullness of life and if you're in that place he wants to give that to you today you don't have to hit bottom so that's the second oddity let me share with you these others quickly oddity number three I think is interesting Jesus comes to him and says, get up, pick up your mat and walk. What I, what I love about this it says that once a man was cured, he picked up his mat and he walked. The idea is he was made whole. I, I think it's funny that Jesus doesn't go, you know, the guy says, yeah, and I try and sit by the pool. I can't do it. And Jesus goes, well, let me, uh, you know, do you have try closer to the pool? Or He didn't get into, you know, well, that's a superstition. That really, you know, he didn't do any of that. He didn't engage in any kind of debate with him at all. He just said to him, just the word and the word spoke and he just expected him because of his willingness and tiredness of 38 years of laying there to get up and walk. That's all Jesus needs to do is give a powerful word. He doesn't have to reason with you. He just kind of he might he, he comes. Jesus actually speaks to us. And later in the service, I really believe Jesus is going to speak to some people today, because in the service, in a few moments, we're going to sing a song and we're going to ask. Jesus, speak to me. Show me. However you want to. However you want to lead. I, I'm, I'm at a place. I'm. I'm done. I'm done being lunged. I'm ready to participate with you. I'm ready to step into what you've asked me to do. I'm going to give up this habit as best I can because it doesn't just go away overnight. But God begins to work as you participate with Him. He begins to take those things out of your heart. He changes, he's the agent of transformation. He changed water to wine. He can change your heart into a heart, not of stone, but of soft that hears and listens to God. All he says is trust and obey. I tell you to rise. And his response was, I'll get up. I don't know what that was like. I don't know if he started to pull. You remember the first sign? This is so important to what God wants us to do, this, this sense of participating in obedience with him. Mary comes to the servant and says, whatever he tells you, do it. Here's kind of the theme through him. He comes to the second parable uh, or, or sign, that, that miraculous sign. And he says, guy, go back to Capernaum, your son lives. And it says, the man took him at his word. This one, Jesus just Rise. Jesus is going to say to some of you today in this service as we open our hearts, he'll say to some of you through this week, he may say to you at some point, he's going to just give you the word, he's going to say, do this, and he's going to expect you to participate in faith and say, yes, I'll do it. Whatever you're calling me to do, Jesus, in this situation. He says, I've forgiven you. Will you believe it? I'll provide for you. Yeah, but I'm without a job. I can't seem to get the interviews I need. To, will you, God said, believe it. I'll provide for you. I'll guide you. Do you believe it? Yeah, but I'm just so confused. No, I'll guide you. Just calm your heart and let me lead you. There's a fourth oddity. It's a concern about rule following rather than relationship, and I'm not going to get into this long. But you would think it's really funny when the, when the, when the Pharisees come across this guy, you would think they would be excited. How many would be excited if someone came to you and said, for 38 years I have not been able to walk, I've been crippled, I've been paralyzed, I could, and look at this, I can look at this. How many would go and get excited with them? Not the Pharisees. Not if you're rule keeping. Not at all. Their first response is, well, what about, isn't it the Sabbath, isn't the rules say you should be doing this? And, and then their concern is this, it's not really with the rules, it's who told you to break the rules? And you begin to follow Jesus, you begin to start stepping out in faith, you participate in that. people are going to go all the time, but wait a second, that's just not how it's supposed to be done. God makes his own rules. Now, he's according to his word, but there are so many times you look at the word of God, the oddities, the way that God works, are not the ways that we expect. And it's in this chapter that that you start to see the opposition begin. And the fifth oddity is that illness does come from our sin at times. Now, I, I say that because there was a time in 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 this, it says later Jesus found him at the temple and he said to him, See you're well again, you're whole, stop sinning, something worse may happen to you. And the man went away and told the Jewish teachers that it was Jesus who made him well. Contrast that to the ninth chapter of the blind man, you get a whole different picture. Here's a guy who got, here's God still gives mercy to this guy, and this guy is really, I don't know if there's been a transformation in his heart. He's received a miracle. What I think is interesting is Jesus has stopped sinning. See, in that day, they believed that if you were wealthy, it was because you were really a godly person. They believed if you were poor, it was because you weren't following the Lord very well. They believed that if you were sick, it was because of something that happened. John 9, they come across this guy who's blind, and, and they say, who sinned, his father or, or he did he? And Jesus said, neither of them. But this is done so that, you will, that God will receive glory. But there are times, and we see it in Scripture here, that our choices can make us sick. They cripple us. And Jesus wants us to know that. Whatever you're getting the benefit from that thing that keeps you in that wandering that God's been lunging you in, if you choose to stay in it, it it will just get worse and worse and worse. And you can actually see God work in your heart. He can do something and touch your life. And yet if you don't give your heart to him, you can actually continue to start moving into that place where he says something worse will happen. That's just a reality. I remember praying with a guy early in my ministry. And he had come off of um, drugs. And I prayed with him. And he accepted Jesus as a savior. And he was hard into drugs. And he was healed immediately. He had no night sweats. No time that he had to spend to get off these drugs. Nothing. It was just amazing. He went from one day being addicted and then off it, and he did that for six months, and then he started to use again. And I hadn't seen him, and he was gone for about a month, and he came back, and this time he said, you know, I'd like to pray. And I said, yeah, I understand it. Are you ready to give your heart completely to Jesus? I really am just done with this life. And then it took him three months to get off what he had been on. I know that Jesus heals. The last oddity is this, you may not realize it, but Jesus heals even today. I'm going to ask the worship team and, and Andrew if they'd come at this point, but I want you to listen to this as we move into this part of the service. Listen to verse 16 and 17 of John 5. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, listen to this, my father is always at work to this very day. Isn't that interesting? You guys think it's only in the time of Moses or Elijah, but he's working today. Do you know that Jesus is working today, here? My father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. That's a present, continuous word. I have no idea what kind of healing God may have for you, what it looks like. He always knows what is best. Healings come in so many ways and and, and they're not always the way we might expect. Sometimes God heals us in ways that are different than we ever thought. I just want to close with this story. A guy named Tim Hansel and I brought his book and if you ever want to, it's just a great book. It's all about how he was this avid mountain climber and he was mountain climbing and he fell off and he ended up surviving this huge fall but crushing kind of his back. He, He actually walked out with those guys to place where the doctors were able to treat him. He didn't even realize how bad it was, and then it just began to ache, and the pain was incredible, and it was just horrible. He writes that um, that the church family prayed long and hard for his healing, and oftentimes he'd come to church, his eyes just glassy in pain, praying for healing. But he and his church finally, as the family kept praying. He said, finally, a different kind of miracle took place. He discovered a gift he never knew he had, a gift of writing, God opened a door for him to write a whole number of best-selling books, and he started speaking internationally to help people who were in pain. God healed and gave him this joy in the midst of his pain. God just works in so many different ways. He said, I prayed hundreds, if not thousands of times for the Lord to heal me, and finally he did heal me. He healed me And gave me his peace inside the pain. Joy is mine today. It's mingled with an ever-constant state of pain. But there's a gladness of being alive. Hope deeper and more enduring than he ever knew. Faith, he says, enough to get me through the moment and to the next. And love like I've never known was possible. God is still working. He's still healing. I don't know how he wants to work in your life, but I know he's here to work today. I really know that he's here to touch some lives. Just bow your head, and then I'm going to have Andrea share. Father, we open our hearts to you in Christ's name. Amen. Before we sing this next song, I just wanted to explain to you that sometimes worship songs are birthed. Out of the experience of the worship leader. And just before Christmas this past year at a church in California, there was a member of the worship team.